Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, the, they say that the introduction is always the most important for capturing people's attention. So I'm going to start off with, I hate Comcast. Okay, does anybody, you know what Comcast is? Anybody, um, anybody have Comcast? I have, I have Comcast. I figured if we start talking about Comcast, then it's only going to get better from here. So that's, that's kind of my strategy here. Nothing can test the limits of my salvation like a Comcast customer service representative. I just, it's fresh on my, I just moved like two months ago and we had an, we had an interaction and it's fresh on my mind. Whenever, whenever I get invited to speak here at Epic, the first question I ask myself is, well, what am I learning right now? What am I, because everyone in here is, you know, within, um, with, within, within the general age range of mine. So what am I learning right now in this season? And maybe it can help um, someone else. And that's, that's the question that I ask. What am I, what am I really struggling with? And the thing that I'm really struggling with right now is what do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to be when I grow up? I want to do this. I want to do that. God spoke this. God spoke that. Um, God has shown me this. Um, but I'm here, and I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do to get there. I'm right here in life, and I want to get there, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do to get there. And so right now, I want to talk to you about something called, um, I don't call it this, I've heard it called this, it's called the hidden cost. The hidden cost. And basically, if you've ever seen an infomercial ever in your life, there's some sort of hidden cost. It sounds like, oh my gosh, you can have this great product for absolutely free. All you have to do is call this number, and then you call the number, and then you find out it's not absolutely free. There's some sort of hidden cost. And I kid you not, um, during, during lunchtime today, I'm driving, and in, while I'm driving, I get a phone call, and they say, Congratulations! You've won a free trip to uh, Las Vegas, four, four nights stay in Las Vegas. I'm not even joking. It happened today. I thought it was so funny that I had to share it. Um, of course, it's not free. There, there's a hidden cost that they don't advertise in the beginning. You've got to, like, press one, and then you, you get to talk to somebody who's like, it actually costs you money. Um, it's the hidden cost. And infomercials aren't the only thing with hidden cost. Life, life in itself has hidden cost. For example... I like the idea of marriage. Sounds good to me. I like it. Yeah, yeah okay. Somebody's getting married soon, um, so they're really passionate about it. Um, see, the movies, the movies teach me that marriage is amazing. It is, it is sex. There is back rubs. There's dinners. There's sex. And then that's it. That's marriage. It's good, baby. It's good. But there's, and it's, and it's true, yeah. But there's a, there's a hidden cost. And I don't know the full extent of the hidden cost yet because I'm not married, but there's a, a hidden cost. It's not all butterflies and rainbows. It's not you, a euphorian utopia. It's, there's a hidden cost. Comcast has a hidden cost. 
See, a couple months ago, I was moving. I switched internet. I talked to this, this sweet little girl named Mary from the Philippines. And I don't think her name was Mary. I think they just give her, you know, the name Mary, like your customer service name is Mary. Um, I think that's what happened. And I'm talking to her, and me and Mary had an agreement. We had an agreement that I was going to pay $40 a month for my internet. Mary agreed to the, the bill comes the next month, and the bill is not for, for $40. The bill is for $70. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking about Mary, and, and I'm looking at the bill, and I see, oh, there's the $39.99 internet charge. I see that. And then right below it, I don't know, I don't know where, how I missed it, but there's the $30 screw you charge, right? <laughs> That's what it is. And, and it just got tacked right on there. It's the, it's the hidden the hidden cost. Marriage has a hidden cost. Comcast has a hidden cost. Life has a hidden cost. But tonight I want to talk about the hidden cost of being who God wants you to be. The hidden cost of being who God wants you to be. Now just to kind of direct, direct it, I don't want to define it to what we do. In our culture, who we are is a lot of times uh, reflected on what we do career-wise. If I asked you to tell me a little bit about yourself, tell me who you are, probably the third or fourth thing you say is going to be what you do for work. What, it's a defining principle of who we are. And so I don't want to focus so much on what we do for work. I don't want to focus so much on the career. Um, but I want to focus on what God has for us. I ask you, you know, I, I, if I ask Noth to tell me about him, he might say, I'm an entrepreneur. Awesome. Um, if I asked, you know, the rest of you, I don't know where you guys work, you, you might say this, you might say, I'm a, a shady dancer downtown on the weekends. I don't know. But I don't want to define ourselves by what we do. All right, I'll tone it down a little bit. Okay. I have scripture too, so it's, it's a legal sermon, I promise. It's, it's, it's good. But <laughs> we're going to talk about purpose and future and destiny and calling, but I don't want to get stuck in the realm of occupation because what we do does not define who we are. Jesus was a carpenter. That's what he did for work, but that's not how we remember Jesus. That's not what defined Jesus. We don't go, oh, Jesus, you know, he made the best picnic tables west of the Jerusalem. That's not how we remember Jesus. We remember Jesus for who Jesus was. He just happened to be a carpenter for work. Paul was a tent maker. The apostle Paul was a tent maker. Most of you, some of you probably didn't even know that because that's not really how we think of the apostle Paul. That's what he did to make money, but that didn't define who he is. And so I don't want, not even going to touch on career, uh, just actions and purpose um, because our lives are bitter, bigger than what we do uh, for work. Cool? You with me? If you did bring your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to be talking about a little bit about the life of David. David's kind of a cool dude. Um, I'm going to read the first verse, and I'm going to skip to verse 6 because there's a little stuff that we don't need to read that's not essential for what we're talking about tonight. But starting uh, at verse 1 in chapter 16, it said, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you, will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? 
Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his songs, sons to be king. Samuel is a prophet. And so, and so Saul was this, this guy this, at the time, King Saul. He was, he was doing stuff that was dishonorable to the Lord. So God told Samuel, we're going to pick a new king. We're going to pick a new king. Now, fast forward to verse 6. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the, the Lord's anointed stands before the, the Lord. Eliab is one of Jesse's sons. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Mr. A and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass by before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So we asked Jesse, is this it? Are these all of your children? And then Jesse's like, well, there is still the youngest, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So we sent for him, and he had brought and had him brought in, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. He had a fine appearance and handsome features. I can relate to David. But then the Lord said, <laughs> then the Lord said, <laughs> if the, uh, never, uh, never mind. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Boom. So, little recap, what just happened? Guy named Jesse. Samuel comes up to Jesse. He says, hey, one of your sons is the next king of Israel. As you can imagine, if you're Jesse, that's exciting. Your son's just been, you know, claimed the king of Israel. So he's like, oh, well, let's go figure out which one it is. So he picks his seven sons. David doesn't even make the lineup. So he picks his seven sons. Samuel goes down the list. Nope, 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 nope. Is this it? And then Jesse's like, well, there, there's one more, but, you know, he's, he's out with the sheep. Like. And so they go get him. And, and sure enough, Samuel anoints the sheep tender David to be the next king of Israel. The cool thing about this story is that sometimes the biggest, the biggest heroes come from who we think are the most unlikely people. It doesn't matter who you are or who you think you are, God can, does, and will use you to accomplish extraordinary things if you allow him to. Um, commentators, people smarter than me in the realm of Bible, they say that David was probably between uh, age 10 and 15 when this happened. So I'm just going to assume he's 12 and a half. We'll just average it out nice and nice, safe. He's 12 and a half when he's anointed the next king of Israel. Now, he doesn't assume the role yet. He's just saying, you know, we're anointing you as the next one when that time comes. But David didn't officially become the king until he's 30. Why? Well, It'd be a little, if we had like a 12-year-old president, that might be a problem. So that's, you know, that's one, one reason that, that it could um, 
that, that David didn't, didn't get elected until he was 30. And then there's a cultural thing that, you know, you're not a man until you're at least 30. So that, that could be another thing. But there's obviously, you know, regardless, whatever reason, there is some maturing that needs to happen during that time. From age 12 to age 30, there's some maturing that needs to happen. And so let's see what that looks like. If you've ever attended Sunday school or, or, or been to church, you've probably heard, or, you know, born in America, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath. David, you know, this is one of David's, David's first challenges. He's still a boy. He goes out and he faces the big giant Goliath that nobody wants to face and nobody thinks he can do it. And of course, he brings him down and cuts off his head and puts it on his sword. He's like, yeah! That's David and Goliath. That's, that's his first challenge. There's probably, uh, he, he learned a lot from that experience, I'm sure. Um, David, he knows that he's walking in the anointing of the Lord. That's the reason that he had favor over Goliath, because he had already been anointed by the Lord, and he walks with the Spirit of the Lord. Now, David's future from this point on doesn't look that great. I won't go into all the details, but, but as he's approaching as he's approaching this, this kingship, you know, David is brought into King Saul, who's the king at the time. As he's approaching this, uh, King Saul starts to get jealous of David because the people like David more than they like Saul. And so Saul wants to have David killed. And so for years, for years, David is running for his life from Saul because Saul's trying to have him killed because out of jealousy, out of rage. And I can't see, some people, some people stay awake at night thinking about the stresses of the day or they think about their Disneyland trip or whatever. I lay awake at night being like, I wonder what it felt like to be David in those moments. When you have been anointed by the prophet to be the next king, but you're spending day after day after day running for your life. What, what is that? Like, what kind of feeling, what does that feel like? What emotions come about? I would, like, want to punch God in the throat. Like, you anoint me king, and now, like, I'm running for my life every day? This, it's, it's tough, but, but that, that was the hidden cost. Those moments were the hidden cost. See, see you can't, David, David didn't know as a 12-year-old boy what was coming. He didn't know, he didn't know the challenges that were ahead. He didn't know that there was going to be a Goliath. He didn't know that he was going to be persecuted and, and time after time after time nearly killed by, by King Saul. He didn't know, but it was the hidden cost of taking David from who he was and molding him into he, who he's supposed to be. It's a hidden cost. It's a necessary cost. Are you with me? Am I in the right places? Okay. I think that the, the lesson to be learned here is that David's seasons of trial, um, you know, those, those tough moments, that doesn't mean failure. Opposition doesn't mean failure. It doesn't mean that David fell out of favor with God because he's facing adversity. I think a lot of times in my life when I get pushed back, I go, oh, maybe... Maybe I'm just headed in the wrong direction. Uh, I was at, you guys know Jesus Culture, right? 
I was at, uh, I'm, I'm a Jesus, like straight back to like 2008 Jesus culture junkie, but I was in Chicago for a Jesus culture conference, and um, there was a speaker, I won't say who it was, it, you'd, you'd know him, but there was a speaker, and he comes out, and he's getting ready to preach, and then there's a heckler in the crowd, and he's yelling, blah, 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 adulterer, blah, 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 blah. And then it was the greatest thing ever. The speaker's just kind of looking at him patiently as he gets escorted. And then as he's getting escorted out, he's like, you know, if you don't run into the devil every now and then, you're probably headed in the same direction. I'm just like, mic drop, boom. Nice. That's like, I hope that I can steal that and claim that as my own one day if I ever get uh, a heckler. Um, but that, that was great. And so challenges... Adversity, it doesn't mean that it's not from God. It could mean that God is using this to shape us into who we are. I was, I was meeting with uh, Eric Waterbury yesterday, and we were talking about this, and I was telling him what I was going to talk about, and then just nonchalantly, he's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's one thing to have the crown. It's another thing to have the authority to wear it. And I'm like, like I'm going to write that down. <laughs> But, but these, these are moments in David's life where he's gaining the authority and the maturity and the depth and the wisdom to be king over Israel. And it, it had to be tough. Can I, do you guys mind like if I'm vulnerable for a second or like the rest of the night? Whatever comes quicker. I'm trying to really embrace this, like, 100% authenticity thing. Because um, I'm just tired of pretending. I'd rather you, you know, not like me for who I really am than like me for who I'm p- pretending to be. Um, so I'm really trying to do that. And so I may say something that, you know, uh, that you don't like about myself. I may say something that you don't like or um, another you know, something relating to all these stupid things that they tell me that's not appropriate ministry. But um, the bottom line is that David had to learn things in this season that prepare him for the next season. Okay? Problems don't go away. Problems in our lives don't just randomly go away. Where you end this season is where you're going to begin the next season. I know that's mind-blowing revelation um, that was sarcasm. This, this makes sense. Like, we're, if, if I'm here and then I enter a new season, like, I start from here. I start from the person I am. And so, and, and, and to give you an idea, like, the person that I am right now, if I got married today, that's who I am right now is what I'm carrying into marriage, that new season of marriage. If I, if I'm, if I get a new job, the issues that I have with my work right now, I'm carrying in because if I've got things in my heart, if I don't like to honor my authority or honor my boss and I've always got something to say to my coworkers about my other coworkers, I'm taking that same mentality into the next season, whether it's a new job, whether it's a, a marriage or a new marriage, whether it's having children, it, 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 it carries over. It doesn't just go away. And, and I say that because there's things in my life that I'm trying to learn right now so that I don't carry them into my next seasons, whatever those are. If I don't, if you were here for the, the last time I spoke, I talked about singleness. 
if I don't learn things while I'm single, then I'm going to carry that into marriage. The, the, the hitting point for the last sermon was, was most of the, the issues in marriage or problems we didn't address while we were single. It just walks right into it. It carries over. Are you with me? If I, if I don't learn to tackle porn in this season, then it's going to affect more than just me in the next season. If I don't learn to, to tackle my manipulation to get a response that I want in this season, then it's going to carry over into the next season. If I don't learn to stop pretending to be something so that people like me in this season, then it's going to carry over into the next season. If I don't learn how to do conflict with people that I love in this season, then it's going to carry over into the next season, where the season, where one season ends, the next season begins, and there's no ma magical thing that changes in our heart. We need to be thinking of what we're learning right now in these, in these moments, because the, the problems that I'm facing today do not go away. We reap what we sow. If, if we sow stupid, then we reap stupid. Right? See, I don't, I don't know, I don't have enough time to go through all the things that I need to learn in this season, and maybe you can relate to some of the things, and maybe you have your own things that I didn't share, but, I, but I've got to learn to tackle them today. Each and every one of us in this room has a plan, has a purpose, has a destiny to walk out in Jesus' name, but there's a preparation that comes with that. There's a season of preparation. D David, 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 David had a season of preparation. 18 years of preparation before he was ready to be king. Even Jesus had a season of preparation. Jesus didn't begin his, his ministry until age 30. And there's more than, than one reason for that. But one of those reasons is he was preparing. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness in preparation. Paul, the apostle Paul, the author of the majority of the New Testament, spent 50 years as a Pharisee in preparation, as a, as a Jewish leader in preparation for what he would do for the kingdom. There are seasons of preparation that propel us into what God has called us to do. Are you with me? It's in these tough seasons that we start to grow deep roots. Story time. Story time. Hashtag story time. A little over uh, a year and a half ago, I'd, I'd just gotten out of a two-year uh, relationship. It's around the time that I started coming to Epic. Just got out of a two-year relationship, and you know, when you're in a relationship, you're like, this, this baby's the one. Like, come on. When you're in it, you think she's the one, and then, you know, there's two years of fantasizing your perfect future together, and then it ends, and it was, you know, I was pretty heartbroken. It was kind of yucky on the ending. Pretty heartbroken. And then also in this season, I, I was also working at a church at this time. I was a youth pastor at a church. And, and so I was constantly, week after week, pouring out, trying to make a difference or invest some good seeds or, you know, other Christian taglines, whatever, into these teenagers. And I'm pouring out even when I have, when I feel like I have nothing to give. And then also at this time, I started blogging. So I had a couple blogs, and then I was, you know, I was in this season of brokenness and very emotional and whatever. And, and I, you know, when you break up, you're like, I'm never going to get married, and it's just awful. And, and so I wrote a blog, 
It was almost out of pain, but I wrote a blog called uh, for a letter to my future wife, and I posted it on the internet. So I, I posted it, and, it, and it's cool. You know, I'd written, written blogs before. A couple days later, I have thousands of emails in my email box of people, you know, responding to the blog. Awesome. Popular blog. The, the tough thing with that is, and, and you're not going to believe this, but there are people in the world who don't like me. <laughs> I know. It's, it's absurd. I'm as appalled as you are. But there are people in the world who didn't like me. And if you can imagine that, that if there's thousands of emails and 5% of them are bad, there's a lot of bad emails. And so, and so, and, and, I, and I wasn't ready for this, or I don't think that I was ready for this. My, my heart's tender, and I'm constantly pouring out, and then this happens, and I'm reading. The, the good emails are, you know, those are fine. You know, they tickle, whatever. Um, but the bad, that sticks with me. When, when people say bad stuff, when they, when they try and call, th- when they call out the, the core of who you are and say, you know, uh, I couldn't, couldn't tell you what, what they said, but that, it hurt. And it was a really tough season. And I felt like in this moment, I was doing everything that God wanted me to do. I was in ministry and I was posting blogs about my heart, trying to express, to try and help other people. I felt like I was doing everything that God wanted me to do. And this happens. And I, and I remember like, I remember being in my room and, and, and telling God, if this, is, if this is what this is, if this is what living out my, my purpose for you if this is what that is, then I don't want it. I don't, I don't want it. I don't want, I don't want this. I don't want, I don't want Christianity. I don't want to do this. This hurts. I don't like this. And, and I remember very clearly to this day, you know, I'm in, I'm in, in my, my bedroom, uh, laying next to my bed, and I remember praying, and I'm on my knees, and I'm crying. I don't usually cry, but I'm working on it, trying to get better at it. I don't usually cry, but I remember just, just pouring out and, and having this tough discussion. And God really only spoke one thing to me. And, it, and it, it really taught me a lot. It may not mean as much for you as it, as it means for me, but he says, he said to me, you know, year year and a half ago, the, everything you're feeling right now, all the rejection that you're feeling right now is what I feel when you don't want to be with me. And I'm just like, like, I get it. I mean, I want to punch him in the face, but I get it. Um, and and it, it taught me, it taught me something that I really couldn't learn in any other way. I may never be that broken again, but even in the, the depth even at the rock bottom of my brokenness, God was still teaching me. And I'm not saying that God, that God ordained everything, all those things to happen. I'm not saying that. But my Bible reads that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And I, and, I, and I know that he was in that situation and he was teaching me things that I, that I couldn't learn. C.S. Lewis has a, has a great quote. Um, C.S. Lewis, he wrote the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. But he says that God allows us to experience the low points in life to teach us things that we can learn in no other way. And it's like, 
it's not, it's not that God caused all of that to happen, but if we believe that God is all-powerful, he could have stopped it. He could have stopped it. He could have put a stop to it, but he's like, he let it go because he was teaching me something. Because he could see, even though I couldn't see through it, even though I was ready to quit, even though I was like at the rock bottom, he saw through it and he saw who I would be today. He saw the fruit that was coming from the seeds that, that, that were planted. And, and that's, that's a hidden cost. That's, for me, that's, that's a hidden cost. Uh, you know, when I, when I first started, um, when I first started preaching, there wasn't very many people, which is a good thing, because I wasn't very good. I, I remember preaching to four, five teenagers who, who didn't really want to be there. Their parents made them come. Like, I remember those days. And I remember, because like, I felt called to go called. I felt God directing me into ministry uh, right after I got saved. And, 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 I, and I wanted to be a youth pastor, and people, people spoke, oh, this, you know, prophetic words. You're going to be a youth pastor. You're going to be great. And so I'm like, come on. Like, this is, thank you, Jesus. Like, I am called. I am anointed. I, I'm all of these, I'm all of these things. I, I've been Davided. Like, God Davided me. He assigned a destiny for me. It's, it's, how, it's how I felt. But in those moments, I didn't feel like preaching to the four, the four teenagers who didn't want to be there. You know, you're like, like this, is, this is what that meant? Like, what? This I like stadiums, but, like, what? And, and it's, it's the hidden cost. I wasn't very good then. I'm getting better. But it's the hidden cost. I didn't, that didn't boost, those moments didn't boost my ego, preaching to four teenagers in a mountain town that nobody's ever heard of out in the middle of nowhere. It didn't boost my ego. I didn't receive divine revelation. I didn't, I didn't get any of these things that I felt were making me better, but he was teaching me the character. He was teaching me that it's just important to preach to four than it is to preach to 4,000. He was teaching me what it means to practice what you're actually preaching because it's one thing to preach this on Thursday night and it's another thing to live it out on Friday morning. He was teaching me the character to be who I'm supposed to be. The hidden cost. We want greatness. We want abundant life. We want to be filled with joy and happy. And, we, and we, wanna, we want passion. But we forget the hidden cost. We forget the things that come with it. We want to run awesome businesses like, like Eric Knopf. But we forget the hidden cost. We want to, to be a great discipler like Eric Waterby, Waterbury. But we forget the hidden cost that got them there. And I could call out every person in the room. We, we, want, we want to be great worship leaders like Jed and Christina and the rest of the team. And we want to do all these things, but we forget the hidden cost. We don't see the hidden cost that got them there. They didn't just wake up successful or passionate 
or, or, or happy or full of wisdom or, or any of these things that we desire. I don't know. I know what I desire. I don't know what it, you desire. But those things that we want, it doesn't, just, it doesn't just happen. There's costs that come with it, the hidden cost. Sometimes, um, sometimes life looks better through the window. You know, I can look through the window. I can look through the window and watch somebody's life. And it looks, it looks good. Like, like, that looks, I, like, I want that. That looks good to me. But we don't see the whole picture. We only see what we can see through the window. Sometimes, sometimes um, I, try to, I try to toot my own horn and I, and I say, there's got to be at least one person out there who, who wants to preach like Brett Shoemaker. There's got to be at least one. I know I'm a seven at best, but I'm hopeful. But I didn't just wake up one day and grab the microphone. Like there were, I've preached a lot of bad sermons. And I've probably preached a little bit of heresy out of, you know, immaturity, things that I might, you know, go back and, and recorrect um, now. But, but I didn't just wake up. Right now, in this moment, I am standing in the fruit of what I was doing three years ago. When there was only four. And you know, this is three years. And then maybe in another three years or six years or ten years, hopefully one year, there will be stadiums. But we're not there yet. Right now I'm right here. And I was learning and I am learning right now the character that is necessary to steward what God has called me to do. I love this. What I'm doing right now, I love this. I know some people don't like public speech. I love everything about it. I love opening the word. I love praying like, God, give me wisdom and revelation. And what do you, I, this, I love what I'm doing right now. This is what I love to do. But God is still chiseling things out. I have to be more appropriate on the microphone. Uh, I'm working on it. But there's, there's hidden costs. You know, I can go back to, to the 15-year-old self who, who thought I would be something, you know, way far down the road. But you don't really picture the path that it takes to get there. And really, really, my focus in this sermon has been preaching. But for you guys, it, it may be something completely different. It may be business. It may be school teachers. It may be, um, you know, whatever it is. Some of you may be students in college. And so you're really like, I have no idea where you're going. But but the, the whole point, everything, everything that was said is leading up to this moment is that don't get discouraged when you face those hidden costs. Because I think, I can think back to three years ago in my life or one and a half years ago when I was, you know, at, at really at rock bottom and I was pretty discouraged. I was pretty discouraged and I, and I, wanted, I wanted to quit. You know, and I didn't understand. And I think that, I mean, at some level, we're all standing in the middle of, of a hidden cost. Um, and those seasons are some, sometimes discouraging. And we feel like, like we're doing everything right, but everything wrong is still happening. But be encouraged be encouraged that in those seasons, in this season right now, regardless of what's going on, God is preparing you for the future. Whether 
there's a 10-year-old in the room or there's an Eric Waterbury in the room. We're preparing, that was an old joke. We're preparing, God is preparing for the future. God is, he's preparing us for the future. And so don't worry about the what, don't worry about the why, don't worry about the where, just stay focused on the who. Who's it for? This moment, who's it for? Whether things are going good, whether things are going okay, whether things uh, need to be a little bit better, who is this for? It's for God. It's all, it's all for God. So don't worry about what's going on or whether or not you're on the right track or whether or not life is playing out like you thought it would or why you're experiencing all these costs, why you're experiencing all these challenges or all this adversity because God does work whether, whether I mean, you, you sow stupid, you reap stupid, you know? So if you're doing stupid things and you're wondering why stupid things are happening, I mean, you reap what you sow. But even in that, God still takes that and works all things for the good of those who love him. Just stay focused on who you're doing it for, regardless of what it's costing you right now. Cool? I'm done.